Okay, um, welcome everybody. My name is Michael Mason. I'm director of the Middle East Center. Um, welcome to this session, Iraq's climate crisis, environmental challenges, and the way forward. Um, this is a session that will last an hour. We have three very uh, distinguished, in inspiring uh, speakers who will each be speaking for seven minutes. The theme, um, this is the last of the sessions of the, of the conference, but by no means the um, uh, in a, insignificant in terms of the topic, which is very timely, of course, leading up to the, the important UN Climate Change Conference in Glasgow uh, in, in late October, November. Um, the overall theme, looking at Iraq's sort of climate crisis, uh, very broadly, um, many, many people um, claim that Iraq has cl a high climate vulnerability, and uh, it is a country which has been facing drought in recent years, most recent sort of uh, uh, um, uh, rainy season was low. The sort of it has a heavy sort of rain-fed dependent agriculture and had sort of heavy crop sort of uh, failures and decline in the northern governorates governorates uh, earlier uh, 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 this year. So we've had a this is this is very much in the news in terms of not just climate change as a crisis globally, but specific climate change impacts in Iraq. And our speakers will talk to different um, aspects of this. Um, so I'm director of Middle East Center. I'm also perhaps more relevant for this session, a geography, a geographer. So I work on, on water and climate change. And within the CRP sort of Iraq uh, program, there was a strand of research looking at environmental issues. And I was fortunate to lead a team looking at water management in, in Southern Iraq. And if you're interested, we have a, a publication online uh, looking at water management in Basra uh, called Failing Flows. So please, if you're interested, you can follow that up. Um, this session is being recorded. Um, I will introduce uh, shortly the, uh, the speakers. Each will talk for about seven minutes, and then that should leave us for a good 30, 35 minutes of question and answers at the end. The, uh, if you want to ask a question, please ask in the Q&A box on the bottom right of your Zoom commands. Don't ask a question in the chat box. Please ask in the Q&A box, and we will take the questions at the end. You can ask the questions anytime, but we'll wait until we've had all the presentations, and then we'll start to deal with the questions. Um, the interpretation, as in the other sessions, uh, some of you may not have been at the other sessions uh, for this conference, but there is an English Arabic interpretation available. It's in the Zoom interpretation command uh, icon on the bottom right hand of your screen. Okay, so if you want to, uh, please access this uh, if you need to for English and Arabic according to the, the speaker's uh, language of presentation. I think all the presentations are going to be in English. Um, so I will now introduce the speakers. Like I said, I'm very Pleased, uh, I'm a geographer and I noticed that the speakers are coming from backgrounds of engineering and geology. So we've got the real hard sciences in town. Um, and each of the speakers I think is, is well placed to talk to this very large topic, okay? Um, I will give uh, brief profiles in terms of speaker order. Um, the first one is uh, uh, Basima Abdurrahman. She's a green building entrepreneur. Uh, with over 12 years of experience working on sustainable development. She's the founder and chief executive officer of the uh, first company in Iraq to introduce green design and construction called KESK, which is, which is green in Kurdish, uh, I believe. Basima is a World Economic Forum Foundation board member and cultural leader. Uh, she's co-chaired a World Economic Forum uh, annual meeting in Davos, a uh, session with the CEO of Microsoft and the president of the World Bank. She's been featured in international media, including Time, uh, Inhabit, uh, Forbes, uh, and um, The National for her inspiring leadership in green building work in Iraq. She holds a bachelor's degree in civil engineering and a master's degree in uh, structural engineering. Our second, second speaker is uh, uh, Maha Yassin. Uh, Mahar is a, a junior researcher at the Planetary Security Initiative uh, um, project run by the Klingendor Institute, which is a leading uh, Dutch think tank. 
Her work focuses on raising awareness and catalyzing action on climate change security risks. Um, the Plan Planetary Security Initiative is a key uh, knowledge hub where uh, Maha contributes to its outreach activities. Um, third speaker is Azam Awash. Um, Azam Awash is the founder and CEO of Nature Iraq. This is, this is an internationally known uh, non-governmental organization focusing on the preservation of Iraq's environmental and cultural heritage. He uh, started the Eden Again Initiative, which spotlighted the drying of the, of the marshes in southern Iraq um, under the auspices of the Free Iraq Foundation. Who, and he continues to serve on the board of directors for that foundation. I'm sure many of you will know that um, he's won uh, numerous awards for his work, including the, the, the uh, Takrim Award in 2011 and the uh, uh, Global Goldman Environmental Prize in 2013 for his uh, work in the restoration of the Mesopotamian marshes. Um, he's also a founding member of the Board of Trustees of the American University of Iraq uh, at uh, Soleimani, and he holds a PhD in civil engineering from the University of California. Um, so as I said, if you do have questions, uh, please put those in the question and answer boxes and we will go to the discussion after the three presenters have presented. So on that, welcome everybody to this session. More importantly, welcome to the speakers and thank you for, 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 for their time and participating in this session. And we're looking forward to this. And so the, I'll move over now to, to Basima. Basima, over to you. Thank you so much, Marco. Uh, and uh, thank you uh, for uh, having me today to speak a little bit about uh, the solutions we're trying to promote. Like Michael said, uh, I'm, uh, uh, my name is Basima Brahman. I'm the founder and CEO of KESS. Um, and uh, we, the mission we're trying to achieve here is that we want to change the way buildings and communities are planned, uh, constructed and operated in Iraq. Um, why I am talking about BIM building today? Because um, conventional buildings are a big part of the problem we are facing today. Uh, they consume uh, over 50% more energy and 40% more water compared to green buildings. And uh, buildings in general are responsible for one third of the greenhouse gas emissions uh, globally. And uh, they generate 70% uh, um, more waste, sold waste uh, compared to uh, green buildings. How is this relevant for Iraq? Um, we are going through economic, economical problems in, in the country. Um, an annual energy loss costing Iraq around $6 billion annually. Uh, we have also the loss of uh, rent and, uh, and, and sales, uh, premiums typically earned by green building. So this is uh, evaluated by minimum 7%, sometimes it can go even uh, more than 10% in terms of uh, premiums uh, related to sales and rentals. And um, the daily water consumption per capita is uh, two times the international standards. And we divert less than 1% of our sold waste to recycling. So in general, uh, these are the uh, economical uh, issues we're facing and we believe green buildings can address uh, all of them. And uh, uh, some of the social problems we're facing is that electricity is a crisis in Iraq. Um, so the um, Iraqi government is able to provide uh, less than 12 hours of electricity uh, every day. Um, and uh, as a result, uh, uh, more than a third of the Iraq's electricity is privately uh, produced. So private generators are 25 times more expensive and uh, they're highly polluting. We, I believe we have over 40,000 uh, private generators scattered across the country. And uh, in addition uh, to the electricity crisis and the lack of uh, uh, supply, we also have the uh, civil unrest. As a result, uh, every year, hundreds of thousands of Iraqis pour into the streets every summer to protest lack of electricity and services. Um, so conventional buildings 
according to uh, our work and studies. So when we do design between normal and or what we call conventional building and a green building, we have uh, discovered that um, conventional buildings in Iraq, because we don't have any um, standards when it comes to design and installation of buildings, uh, they cause 88% energy loss. Um, so it's basically like we're leaving windows and doors open while we're keeping our uh, ACs or heaters on um, uh, during the year. So uh, we, we envision a future for Iraq where um, solutions, green solutions can be trustable, accessible, and affordable. Um, we really want to make the green way, way an easy way. Um, so that's in general, what, we, what we're trying to achieve here is that we want to provide uh, green building consulting services because in Iraq, these services are not available professionally. And uh, also we're promoting uh, solar uh, uh, energy products. And we started with a, with a solar AC product that can work completely off-grid. Um, we think that um, we should start uh, with this uh, individual product and promote it uh, widely because 60% um, uh, of the Iraqi household consumption goes to air conditioning units. And we thought it would be infeasible to uh, take the whole building off-grid. So we thought if we can take uh, air conditioning unit off-grid, that would be just uh, uh, enough if we scale this uh, in, a, in a wider scale, um, uh, that would be, uh, that would help in feeding the energy demand during certain hours during the day. So if 60% goes to ACs, we take that off grid. We can take the surplus of the energy to uh, increase uh, uh, the um, electricity uh, supply hours, or um, it can be also. I mean, in general, it can help in in uh, in uh, addressing uh, the issue of the electricity crisis. So instead of we think of producing more electricity, maybe we need to save more electricity to solve the uh, current crisis we are having. So uh, we believe that uh, by applying a green building uh, uh, standards in, in uh, designing and building our uh, structures and projects today, uh, we will be able to achieve um, great energy and water saving in addition to great CO2 emission and health cost reduction, um, not to mention the increased uh, sales and rental premiums we've talked about. And we can give some uh, numbers and metrics here. Uh, for example, we estimate an annual energy saving for a commercial building that can be up to 25,000 uh, um, a year. Uh, we uh, estimate that annual water saving per building can be uh, 4,000 uh, cubic meter, um, and uh, which can translate to 3,000 kilograms per square meter of annual CO2 emission reduction as well. Not to mention the uh, positive impact on occupant health because green building uh, address the indoor environment quality, which is uh, very important because we spend 90% of our time indoor. So these uh, spaces need to be well um, uh, ventilated, uh, healthy, and uh, so on. Um, I am more than happy to address any questions when it comes to the projects we've implemented and uh, the uh, indicators I've just talked about. Um, I love every time when I talk about uh, electricity, the lights goes off. So this is very, very good uh, example of uh, 
um, what we're facing uh, in, in Iraq and uh, the kind of solutions we're trying to promote here. They're not magical solutions, they're real solutions. They address actual uh, um, problems we're facing. I want to end my, my talk with um, my presentation with a small story. Uh, back in, uh, um, in September uh, 2019, I was uh, attending the Global Climate Action Summit in San Francisco. And um, I met there an, uh, um, an ex-military uh, uh, vet veteran from uh, the U.S. Uh, troops. His name was Alex uh, Cornell. And you can look his name up. He's the president of elected officials. Uh, to protect America. Yeah, he's a Marine, Marine a combat uh, veteran and a former state uh, representative. Um, he told me uh, a story that when he was in Iraq and they were driving, um, uh, there was a, um, some, uh, they, they were driving like a number of, of uh, vehicles, American vehicles driving uh, um, near Fallujah. Uh, they were attacked. Uh, there was a, a road, a side road bomb or something like that. And um, after some investigations, they were able to catch uh, the attacker. And it turned out that the attacker is just a farmer, an Iraqi farmer who lost his uh, land uh, to drought. Uh, and drought is the result of climate change uh, um, uh, negative impact. So the farmers lost his uh, crop uh, and uh, he was in dire need of money. He was recruited by terrorist group to plant and he had no previous uh, um, experience with trying to become a terrorist or a fighter, but he was recruited by the uh, terrorist group to plant this bomb uh, uh, and attack uh, the Americans. And this is a very simple example on how the climate change can affect not only uh, um, our health, but also the security of, uh, of the state and, uh, and the, the nation. And uh, I end my presentation here. Thank you so much for listening to me today. Thank you very much, Asma. So now we move to Maha Yassin. Maha, over to you. Yes. Um, yeah, so uh, thank you, Michael, and uh, thanks to your team at uh, LSE Middle East Center for organizing this uh, important uh, discussion. Um, uh, I will talk about uh, the Iraqi government response to climate change, and um, I believe that uh, the current government do recognize that uh, climate change is one of its uh, biggest challenges. Um, also to its stability. And I think the uh, story that Basima just mentioned is, is, a, is a great example of how, uh, how climate change uh, affects the security of, of the whole uh, country. And we also, uh, we also saw uh, this during Biden's climate summit when the Iraqi Minister of uh, Defense, uh, John Ahnad, mentioned that uh, climate change undermines uh, the security uh, in Iraq and uh, again also uh, in the World uh, Environment Day uh, when the Iraqi President Barham Saleh um, called on setting up uh, a national plan to uh, address the impact of climate change and that it should be a national priority. That said, uh, the action or the response uh, has been very slow. Uh, and uh, in this regard, very little uh, has been done to mitigate the impact uh, on locals, uh, especially those who are working in the farming sector. Uh, so the people who are uh, depending on uh, agriculture and, and uh, animal farming. Uh, I think um, the new Iraqi government can accelerate uh, its response uh, in two ways. Uh, first, uh, the new government has the opportunity to uh, improve its cooperation with the Iraqi civil society, uh, who has been working on climate issue, pollution, and uh, environmental degradation. Although um, there are only a few of them working on the ground, and uh, 
uh, their role is, is is still in the face of raising awareness uh, or building their own capacity. Um, I believe the Iraqi NGOs uh, have gone a long way to um, develop their uh, understanding of uh, of how climate change impacts water resources and how it's causing desertification, for example, and how this affects food security across uh, the country. Uh, and uh, as, as a result, it's driving people away from their own lands. So NG, Iraqi NGOs do recognize the cause and the chain of effects uh, it's creating. And it has been in direct contact uh, with the communities that is uh, mostly affected. Um, and this is not to say, of course, that the uh, current uh, relevant government institution uh, do not have the capacity to address climate change. Uh, but they are crippled with, with uh, these uh, bureaucratic processes that uh, slows down their uh, interference to a great deal. And I think NGOs has um, relatively uh, more space to connect with actors like local, international, uh, local and international um, development organizations and research institutions who could provide valuable analysis and recommendations. And um, to give you uh, an example of, uh, of PSI uh, own experience on the ground and uh, working with the different Iraqi uh, stakeholders, um, we noticed that there is, uh, there is a lot of interest from uh, local uh, Iraqi officials to implement ambitious greening and land restoration projects, uh, but they couldn't do much because simply they do not have the authorization, for example, or because the government do not have enough funds to support their projects, which is of course a main issue. Um, uh, the second point uh, that I would like to refer to, I think uh, the new government uh, could also accelerate its effort uh, on lobbying for support on climate change adaptation and mitigation efforts. You know that uh, I think since 2016, the Minister of Environment was merged with the Ministry of Health. And according to several partners uh, who are working uh, with this uh, decision had slowed down several uh, environmental projects. And uh, only recently, uh, the Ministry of Environment has resumed its function as uh, a separate institution. This means it should have uh, the capacity and resources to engage with the bigger actors in the region, uh, like Saudi Arabia, who um, who early this year launched um, an ambitious uh, reforestation uh, project across MENA region. And it should be like uh, one of the biggest uh, in the world, uh, even bigger than the um, uh, Great Green Wall. And although there, there are no like clear plans on how Saudi Arabia is going to implement this project, and especially that it involves several countries, uh, or who, uh, how it's going to be funded. Uh, the current Iraqi government did express deep interest in it. So I think with the, with the recent recognition of the Minister of Environment and uh, the support the current government uh, uh, give to this Green MENA initiative, uh, I think there is a big hope that the new Iraqi government will pick up the work and be more involved with regional and international actors uh, to work on mitigating the impacts of climate change in Iraq. Thank you, Marco. Thank you, Maha. That was perfect timing. Um, finally, last but not least, uh, very, very pleased to welcome from Baghdad, uh, Azam Awash. Over to you, Azam. Thanks, Mike. Uh, the, the, the electricity in I'm going to continue talking, uh, but without a video. Um, interesting uh, topic, of course, and timely. Uh, I was listening to the previous panel uh, about the politics of uh, the demonstrators and, and so on. And, and to me, uh, the discussion was focused on what's going to happen next year or next month and then next year. And it's about politics and what is missing from the discussion in Iraq among the leadership and maybe even among the people is what's going to happen to Iraq after the age of oil. Today, Iraq is 40 million people. 
by 2030, we're expected to be about 51 million people, maybe 50 million people, and at the same rates continue going. By 2050, we'll be 80 million people. Today, Iraq is producing oil, and it has been for the last 70 years, completely dependent on oil income, regardless of what is said about uh, what is being produced and uh, locally or exporting. The only thing that brings money to Iraq is the oil income. We sell that oil, we buy food, we buy everything, cars. And if the oil income today is not quite capable of paying the salaries, uh, guess what's gonna happen in five years? Um, today, Iraq, the oil is $70 and we're good, but the minute that number drops, we're gonna start having problems and we're gonna have even more youth coming in. Um, so, Enough description of the problem. Uh, the, the problem of Iraq is not only the direct effect of climate change, which are incredible, uh, but added on top of that is the fact that we are facing uh, financial bankruptcy uh, as a result of the world pushing away from oil, and we have nothing else that we can do at this point in time. We used to be the breadbasket of the region. We used to be a major trade stop at the Silk Road, north, south, east, west. Uh, we've forgotten that part. And we have, uh, uh, meanwhile, dams have been built upstream uh, that reduce the water of the Tigris and Euphrates. Many people don't understand that, in fact, the reason why agriculture or irrigated agriculture in southern Iraq lasted for 8,000 years uh, as a result of this periodic flood that used to come in, in the snow, when the snow melt starts in the spring. In the spring, we had a, uh, a waves of flood that washes away the salt or the sabkha, which is a geologic term that belongs to the Sumerians. It's the salt layer that accumulates on top of irrigated lands at the end of the summer when all the water evaporates. So that flood comes in and it washes away the, the, the salt. It deposits a layer of silt and clay on top of the farmlands, renewing the vitality of the Sumerian uh, farms. Um, that flood, the last good wash, that we had in Iraq was back in 1968. That's over 50 years. Uh, so, however, the Sumerian irrigation methods continue today, uh, and it takes a lot more than 50 years to change a culture. Our culture is built on too much, too much water. What, we didn't know what to do with the water. Our, our entire water management system in Iraq is, is based on flood control. We have one lake called the Tartar Lake, that protects Baghdad essentially against flooding of the Tigris. That lake is 3,400 square kilometers in size. You multiply that by three meters average evaporation in Iraq, you're losing seven and a half billion cubic meters of water from, uh, from, that, uh, from that lake. Anyway, uh, uh, there's also people in the Gulf don't even understand that in fact, the salinity of the Gulf has increased from 33,000 parts per million to about 49,000 parts per million, which renders all the reverse osmosis plants that are working in, in, in the Gulf, render them useless because uh, they're not designed for that condition. The point, all of this is description of problems. Solutions are possible. Okay, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna, I wanna talk about the solutions. You've heard Basma, I love that kind of attitude that reduces the rate of increase on, on, the, on, on, on electricity supply. Uh, what is not being addressed at this point is what you're going to do with this small, this, this, this large sorry, population, this bulge, this demographic of, of young people that wants jobs that are coming online and Iraq does not have uh, income. What we need is our solutions that create pro jobs and future for these, for these people. So. I'm not gonna spend too much time talking about the solutions per se, but I've sent to the organizers uh, a copy of the recently announced restoration, restoration initiative of the, of the pre President Baram Saleh. It is a set of ideas that are focused on changing the climate change threat, which not only is threatening Iraq, but just as I explained to you, it's threatening the Gulf, it's threatening Kuwait, it's threatening Saudi Arabia, it's threatening Iran, it's, threat it's threatening their economies, as well as their, their, their environment. These ideas are focused on converting the climate change threat on the economy as well as the environment into opportunities for cooperation and cross-border uh, 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 management of the water resources of Iraq, of the electricity of Iraq, uh, and 
uh, and also the transportation. Um, and these ideas are all intended to start within Iraq, but are expandable uh, 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 to, to the region. It envisions a future in which Iraq produces photovoltaic energy in the south, uh, and the excess energy that is not sold or used is going to be converted into green hydrogen that can be exported or used at night, coupled with hydroelectricity management uh, uh, from the dams of Turkey and Iraq and Iran, uh, and connecting Basra to Istanbul uh, or Istanbul to the Gulf, uh, vice versa. It's, it's, it's a set of ideas that if accepted and embraced by the leadership of Iraq and hopefully the region, could be actually a key to a future peace, peaceful coexistence uh, based on economic integration and economic cooperation. I remind you all that the, uh, uh, that the European Union started with an agreement between France and Germany in May of 1950 on the coordination of, of coal and steel. Uh, and that is uh, uh, what we are proposing that we can start a similar uh, era of cooperation in this region on the coordination of management of water and electricity slash energy and transportation. And I wait for your questions. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much for that, Azam. It's, it's good to um, finish on, on these sort of positive uh, solutions on, on, on things we can do, things which are realistic, with things which are affordable, things which are uh, offer employment and also protect the environment. So any questions, please put in the question and answer uh, box, the icon, which is in the bottom right-hand corner of the uh, Zoom screen. We have some questions already, so I think I'll start on those, but um, the rest of you, please feel free to, to uh, offer questions. I, I've got all sorts of questions I'd like to ask, actually, but I'll, I'll allow the audience uh, to go first. So, and I'll, I'll open these up and, and allow any of our panelists to respond. So let's go to the first question. Majid Al-Yassiri, um, one of the obstacles is that the white paper to reform economy and financial sector fails to provide robust support for sustainable development and protect the environment in the construction sector, and also in addressing adaptation and mitigation requirements to combat climate change. Uh, we also know that the, um, at the same time, the, 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 the Iraq government has, is actually um, um, uh, um, produced a, uh, in terms of climate change, the big, big conference coming up in, in November, October, November in Glasgow, has produced what's called a nationally determined contribution, which is a sort of uh, commitment to climate change action required under the, under the Paris Agreement. And that does include a, a, a commitment to, to uh, a green economy, to renewable energy. So the question here is, is to what extent is the Iraq government really taking seriously these, these, these issues? So which of our panelists would like to answer that? I see that constructions mentions explicitly. So Vasima, you'd like to start on that one. So if we're talking about uh, government uh, role in, in uh, promoting sustainable development and protect environment when it comes to the construction sector, definitely we need to update our existing standards because there, it's been decades um, since they're there. Uh, we need new standards with sustainable uh, standards with um, um, uh, updated uh, uh, criteria for building design construction. Um, it's about time to change it. Uh, and of course, if the government will not take the lead uh, in this uh, uh, in this process, the private sector um, and the public will not be able to follow. Uh, when when the government is taking the lead everyone else is going to follow them uh, based on the new uh, reforms and the policies they're going to put in place. Um, we see a lot of initiatives going on, workshops, um, uh, drafts uh, regarding uh, government commitment to sustainable development. Uh, we haven't seen anything concrete 
uh, yet uh, uh, when it comes to uh, to um, bringing uh, new regulations for for uh, sustainable development when it comes to the construction uh, sector. Oh, yeah. Michael, uh, Michael, I want to add to the what sure. the, what she said. Uh, the NDC goals, national determinants contributions are really modest: two percent by government, fifteen percent private sector, uh, provided there is stability and financing. These are incredible conditions. Obviously, they're not going to materialize in the next ten years. Um, uh, and just as I mentioned before, there is no funding. The problem in Iraq is that the government is still of the mind that. It's top down because of the oil, of the oil income. The point that I always make up make is that in fact Iraq needs a lot of green climate funding support, and in fact it's an opportunity for the West to help us actually activate the private sector as an absorber of talent of these young people that are coming online, um, and activating a green industry. This is actually an opportunity if managed properly. Of course, it will be a disaster if managed improperly because then you're talking about revolution. You're talking literally revolution. These people that demonstrated in Tishreen are gonna come out again in force afterwards if there's no solutions. And in fact, the budget continues to, 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 to hemorrhage. Um, and so, it depends on the political will. Uh, the sooner the young speak, the, the sooner the leadership must listen. Uh, but frankly, if not addressed properly, there will be migration, not from, as Louisa asked, from the, from, from, from the farms to the cities, but beyond that, if, when these guys migrate from the farms to the cities, guess what's going to happen? No jobs. That means extremism. That means that means that means uh, uh, insecurity. Uh, people will start migrating. The the middle class, the educated class, those who can make a living outside, will start migrating out. I mean, the Syrian crisis might have been a small little prova to what could happen if Iraq actually, if Iraq's economy collapses. Thank you, Maha. Did you want to add to that at all? If not, we can go to the next question. Yeah, I, I don't think I have something new to add, but uh, as uh, Azam and, and Basma said, um, like uh, the, the Iraqi government has invested a lot in developing the oil sector. It, uh, it, it, uh, it, it developed in a way that it created a lot of jobs as well and with attractive salaries. So, so we saw like since 2018, a lot of these young people who have been in losing their livelihoods in the countryside, they immigrate to the cities and they started protesting uh, when there is an unrest and they go directly to these oil companies. And, and this is and this is this is what create also insecurity in the country. Uh, that that the Iraqi government, the new Iraqi government, I hope could could. Uh, could address by putting more funds into the agriculture sector. Thank you. I, I think that 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 was a stark statistic you gave Azam about the um, the population. At least some forecasts saying the population will double uh, by mid-century. But that's also an opportunity in terms of that great bulge of young people um, uh, in terms of employment um, and the possibilities of of them leading the transformation of the economy. The and society. Uh, you, you already started to, to respond to uh, Louisa's uh, question, Azam, which is, could the panel speak a bit about the impact of climate and water-linked migration on Iraq's urban centers? Any of you like to say any, any more of that? I know you, you started to, 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 to um, address that, Azam. Uh, I think I've said in okay. summary what, what I expect yeah. to happen. There is, uh, to stop it, you need to actually work on making sure that the farms produce enough income and therefore money should be spent on modernizing irrigation. And it should, if the, if the politicians are aware of what's going to happen if they don't do what needs to be done, uh, they should be scared, right? I mean, this is this is we need to actually impress upon them that 
if you don't address status quo ante is not is not a solution you need to address this and you need to address this now and you can postpone this 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 migration by making sure that you're not losing so much water to evaporation and cooperate with Turkey on the management of the water to make more water available so that in fact the farms will still be a secure way of making a living and for those who choose to stay uh, in the in the in the countryside. Asama Maha, is there anything you wanted to add? I think what I would say is that I would love to see the data on what how um, the previous uh, uh, tourism influence and ability to uh, take over large parts of Iraq and mainly the uh, rich agriculturally rich areas in Iraq. How was this also related to climate change? Uh, I think uh, this is part of the Ministry of Planning work to collect the information. We need to have the data. We need to understand uh, what what has the uh, reduction of uh, water input from uh, uh, upstate uh, countries uh, uh, on on uh, employment on agricultural sector, which provides. Uh, almost one third of, of employment to Iraqis uh, versus the, the oil sector that is extremely and abundant when it comes to employment opportunities. So the data actually, my answer to Louisa, I would love to see the data how uh, all of this migration and, and tourism and, and um, uh, the insecurity that the country was going through and still going through is linked to the impact of climate change. Thank you. Mahai, was there anything you wanted to add? Um, yeah, I think I, I have spoke to Louisa on, on that type of, uh, topic before. Um, what we have noticed uh, in, um, in PSI that uh, uh, during our work and engagement with, uh, with people over there that uh, indeed that climate change uh, driving people away from from their lands and uh, and um, they are they are causing this immigration uh, already causing some social tensions between uh, the the residents of, of the cities and and the immigrant or displaced people and, and we see it as an indicator of like a future conflict uh, that uh, that uh, Iraq could go through and uh, the Iraqi government needs to really pay attention to it. It already started, uh, we see it a lot with the local uh, politicians, like uh, making a statement that uh, other politicians or, or other governor of the of the southern uh, regions where there is more agriculture need to take care of their own uh, provinces, need to improve the livelihoods over there and shouldn't uh, drive their people away. So there is already like a discussions between politicians, but the social unrest is you can already sense it in the south. Good, thank you. Um, next one, not so much a question as information. Uh, thank you very much for that. Uh, Mohammed Tawfiq Ali has, has uh, posted a link to a session later today, uh, 4 p.m. Uh, London time on the politics of water scarcity in the Levant. Thanks very much for that, Mohammed. The um, next question, uh, uh, Akiko Yoshioka, uh, question to Dr. Uh, Awash. How is Iraq's approach to new types of energy, uh, um, such as hydrogen uh, or blue uh, ammonia, I think that is, which is a, a byproduct of uh, uh, use, use of, of hydrogen? New types uh, of energy. I wish I have good news to report. Uh, for the political system to address something uh, like this, it needs to be aware that there's a problem. And as I stated before, there's very few people that are actually even aware of the, of the potential problem that's going to happen. But it will happen sooner or later. Um, so, ammonia. Okay, so transportation of the green hydrogen is rather difficult uh, because hydrogen uh, needs special special pipes to to transfer um, any any static electricity could actually cause an explosion so 
you know, I don't want to get into technical details. Uh, I mean, you know, obviously you're going to produce hydrogen. You're going to have to convert it to uh, uh, ammonia because ammonia uh, is less susceptible to, to being exploded. Uh, the infrastructure needs to be built before any of that happens. Before we get to the production of green hydrogen, we need to actually capture the flared gas, the methane gas, transfer it. That will reduce our dependence on Iranian gas. Um, it will also move the methane that is being burned. It will move the CO2 from our debt to credit. Um, it just, it, 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 it doesn't help the worldwide CO2 production, but it will help the Iraqi economy averting the catastrophe, maybe, maybe a couple of more years. Um, what the, the, the future that I that I described to you is a dream, um, but it's a, it's not really that big of a dream uh, because what you what few people understand is that the photovoltaic irradiation levels in southern Iraq is almost three times that of Germany. What does that mean? You can put the same photovoltaic plate in Germany versus southern Iraq. It's the same cost. It will produce three times as much in Iraq approximately than it would do in in. in in uh, in Germany and or Turkey for that matter, Turkey is 140 days, so so it's not that stark. But the point is, if we actually connect the electrical grid of Turkey with that of Iraq, we can actually produce photovoltaic. The first step of this, before we get to the green hydrogen, we're gonna. What we would love to do is, in fact, have photovoltaic energy developed in southern Iraq, connected to the grid, connect Turkey with it. So during the day, you have photovoltaic coming in from the south. At night, you'll have hydroelectric coming in from, from the north. Obviously, that's not enough. So initially, you'll still have the thermal, the thermal energy uh, plants that are working. Hopefully, we'll privatize them. But I don't know how the future is going to happen. It's, it's, it's a difficult, it's a difficult proposi proposition. But the plans are there. The ideas are there on how to go stepwise function from today to a 20 years from now, where we can actually reverse the, 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 the energy transfer from sending oil out, we can send hydrogen and electricity from southern Iraq. We can export electricity. Uh, uh, yeah, I know you're, gonna, you're all laughing and, 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 and uh, thinking this is, uh, this is too big a dream. Um, but I will tell you that the future of Iraq, the blueprints for the future of Iraq is in fact uh, embedded in its history. We will come back as the basket, the food basket for this region. We will come back to the trade route, uh, connecting the south to the northeast to the west, and we'll add on top of that an energy proportion, an energy, an energy uh, section that is either photovoltaic direct energy or a combination of photovoltaic plus hydrogen uh, uh, or ammonia transfer. Thank you. Thank you. Um, as if uh, uh, Mahal or Bassam, I wanted to come in at all. I was thinking, Bassam, about green buildings and, and the potential for, for local, even micro, uh, maybe renewable energy use with, 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 with panels. Is that, is that something uh, um, useful to look at? So um, I all of the time I try to explain to um, to stakeholders and and uh, and uh, to customers and to people in general when we when we try to promote something we also try to educate them about the solutions we're promoting um, everybody thinks the green building is a luxurious um, concept uh, and it's too early for us so I would say that if we want to start and take baby steps, start really small, we can start with a very basic uh, solution, just insulate our buildings. Proper insulation can help improve energy uh, efficiency by 800%. And this is, we've done with a very basic energy analysis to one of the existing buildings before and after, we just applied insulation to the building uh, without even, uh, uh, tapping on other sustainable solutions to make this building even more uh, green and more efficient. So we can start with something really simple like that. And, and if we 
there is no one solution to solve uh, uh, to solve what what Iraq is going through economically or socially. We have to work on a number of of um, um, of of solutions, and that would be by improving our design, building design, and construction standards. That would be by promoting renewable energy solutions. That would be also by, like Mr. Azam mentioned. Uh, we need to improve and promote private sector and provide better startup ecosystem for those young people to come and apply new solution, green, more sustainable solutions uh, uh, to revive the economy. And without a, a proper uh, ecosystem for those businesses to grow, it, it's impossible with the existing um, laws that we have in Iraq when it comes to investment and bringing foreign investment it's not possible to grow the private sector uh, forward and to address all the issues we, we are facing today. So we're talking about multiple and many, many solutions that has to that needs to be done all in parallel to uh, to get to the uh, to the ultimate uh, uh, to get to ultimate results. So that's uh, my final uh, take on this. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. Azam, you wanted to come I, back I, I want to I want to interject, uh, Michael. Uh, just uh, two days ago or three days ago, uh, I was informed that there is now a dedication of about a hundred million dollars. I, I I don't know how much. It's a hundred million dollars or a hundred million Iraq dollars. hundred million Iraq dollars is nothing. So it must be a hundred million dollars. Uh, dedicated for loans for solar systems uh, to be installed in homes. Uh, these are designed to be along the lines of the wheeling system, the wheeling charges of the West, where you have actually 24-7 electricity in the national grid, and basically encourages uh, people to, to install photovoltaic on top of their roofs. Um, obviously, that is not quite applicable in Iraq, because if you have a brownout in an area and you have photovoltaics in your house, that electricity that is being generated and sent into the grid is going to be lost. Uh, so for Iraqi system, they're putting photovoltaics with a battery. The problem with the battery, of course, is, is that it doesn't last four years. It lasts only two, two and a half years in Iraq. So the, the economics don't quite work as of yet. But what is beautiful about putting, putting photovoltaic cells on top of Iraqi roofs is that it actually works as an umbrella, reducing the amount of heat generated <laughs> in the house or retained by the concrete. So, so, so I would love to see. I mean, I would like to talk about. I mean, in fact, I'm thinking that I need to go to Erbil and, and meet with Basma. We need to come up with a uniquely Iraq design in which we have an umbrella of photovoltaic just to add a shade. If you have lived in Iraq, you know that you cannot take a shower in the afternoon because in the summer because the the the, the water tank. Uh, brings the water up to 70 degrees, which you, 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 basically you boil alive. So we can come up with solutions. Uh, and of course, the government needs to get out of the way or, or create, create the, 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 I mean, actually, so talked about battery, more remove the batteries. I'm actually talking to producers about other solutions. I don't want to, I don't want to bore you with details. The, the point is, yes, we can copy otherwise other, other, other experiments, we need to actually keep in mind our unique conditions. Basma did not mention, probably didn't have time to, to do it. We used to know how to live with this environment. Before electricity was introduced in Iraq, houses were, were suitable for our, for our environment. But when electricity was introduced, so instead of building thick walls to, 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 to live with our environment, we began building cheaper buildings and using electricity to compensate for the loss of that heritage. Besma, the solution is there. Let's go back to our history. Let's, let's copy from our I, history. I, I agree with you that uh, using passive energy design principles is also important to, um, to reduce energy consumption and make buildings more efficient. But uh, with the global warming, we are not... Uh, Actually, we are not living in the same environment that it used to be 10 years or even 50 years ago. Um, over uh, two centuries, it used to snow every year in, in Baghdad. 
It's not anymore because of the uh, third industrial revolution. Uh, hold on, hold on. That was that was a mini ice age in Europe. That, that, <laughs> that was, stop, slow down. Let's not go there. I mean, look, two degrees as far as the building efficiency. Yes, it's hard, but it's not that major. I'm talking. I, I wanted, what I'm saying. What I'm saying to, to you is answer, that. Yeah, I, but, I want. But what, I, what, I'm, what I'm telling you, what I'm telling you is that we have the solutions, Basma. We have the solutions. We don't need to copy and paste. What we need to is understand that our history, our heritage is the solution. Let's just go back and study what the freaking Sumerians used to do, what the Baghdadis used to do. It's there. I, I like the energy and enthusiasm. So I want to address also your uh, concern about solar energy. The solutions we try to promote is uh, taking out the battery component because we understand that it's not because they're just complicated and expensive and they don't last long, but also there's one other problem. It's the wrong consumer behavior. So the consumer will take the battery and recharge it from the grid. So all the solution we're providing are uh, to be on-grid solutions. We're not, we're not promoting off-grid uh, solutions when it comes to solar energy. Until we have the proper electricity infrastructure in Iraq, where we'll have smart meters, only then, which has been applied in Kurdistan, is very successful. So no wrong consumer behavior can be tolerated in Kurdistan. But rest of Iraq, better infrastructure is needed. Only then we can see better solar energy projects uh, that can work completely off-grid or solar farms. Only at the time we will be able to see that, and we and that sector can revive uh, even. I have I have only two words to answer you: hydrogen cells. <laughs> It, it it sounds to me like uh, Nassim Azam, you need to get together and and because this this is a wonderfully uh, uh, creative. Yeah, as, as soon uh, as soon as the elections happen, I'm 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 going to Erbil. Actually, Basma, I, I was told about Basma uh, by a common friend. I think Christine told me about your activity. So yeah, I have I have you on my 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 uh, list on my Please, list welcome. To, to talk. Welcome anytime. <laughs> would love to host you in Mr. Azam. <laughs> Actually, I I would love to host you at the American University of Iraq and Slemani, and we can talk. <laughs> Maha, you wanted to come yeah. in. Um, well, I think I think like uh, I am not uh, in any position to talk about any of the technical uh, details that uh, Basima and Azam are, are very expert in. Um, but I do believe that in the middle of Iraq, uh, there is um, this endowment uh, project uh, where they started to introduce uh, like um, uh, introduce uh, solar power uh, in their uh, to their irrigation system. So I think like. Yeah, this is this is like it's it's a private sector, but not entirely a private sector. Uh, apparently, there is a big fund that is going there that uh, that could improve the irrigation system in in the middle uh, of Iraq. Um, however, this is still like even though it's a bigger project, it's still limited in a, in a small area. And um, um, I hope that the Iraqi government could adapt this project to implement it also to the south and middle of Iraq where water uh, is, is very scarce over there. So um, yeah, I don't know if, if Basima or, or Azam knows about this project or have they been in touch with these people and how they are implementing it, what kind of techniques uh, they are using it because it seems that it's, it's, it's going uh, very well for them. Um, I'm not aware of all the details, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm busy with the with with other stuff. So <laughs> shoot at me if you if you if if you have information. Yes, please shoot. Let's 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 uh, let's see what we can do and how we can incorporate their new ideas. Of course. Yeah. I I see we are we are unfortunately out of time because we could carry on uh, this discussion. I'm sure for a long time. Um, so. Um, let me bring um, things to a stop now, uh, but before we all leave, I want to, uh, uh, on behalf of everybody of the centre, uh, of the audience, uh, thank you very much our, our, our speakers today. Thank you for giving us your time. Azam, you wanted to... One small correction. You said that I'm a graduate of the University of California. 
my alma mater is University of Southern California. We, we oh, well, California is, yeah, is, 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 is not is not in our league. <laughs> <laughs> okay, thank you. I all right, like thank you for the opportunity. Talk to you later. Good. Thank you very much. And before we all we all uh, may I just say thank you to our uh, interpreters for the whole conference for for yes. Saud Mohammed Murad. And uh, I know this is the last session, last but not least. Thanks very much for for TAFE. Uh, Tave Alkudari for her all her work organizing this conference, and and last but not least, um, all this would not be happening without without my my colleague Professor Toby Dodge. So thank you very much, Toby, for all your work, your leadership in the CRP Iraq program in recent years, and and um, this has generated so much great work. And Please come, if you're not, uh, you don't know, go to our website, Middle East Center, go to the CRP website and see all our wonderful publications. Mohammed Tawfiq Ali has kindly put up the, uh, the water management uh, in Southern Iraq publication. So you're all welcome to, to have a look at our website and please contact us if you want, have any questions around any of our publications and our projects. So thank you everybody. Thank you for uh, an excellent session. Okay, bye-bye.